0: Okay, listeners, we've had some sort of political Armageddon in Australia. Well, at least that's how it's being reported on Twitter, and people are panicking, and people are looking for big political reasons why Labour didn't win on Saturday night. And whether you're a coalition or a Labour fan, I think we need to understand why pollsters get it so horribly wrong, and why people pick the parties they pick. So we are going to attempt to unravel Australia.
1: David Orney How are you David?
0: Very well Thank you Tim
1: Well that's good to hear Sounds like you're Staying positive Which is You know Good Some people are Perhaps not in such High spirits
0: I'm going to steal A phrase from Marcus Luttrell mm-hmm. On the Team Never Quit Podcast <laughs> And I wish I could do His Texas accent Simple phrase Embrace the suck
1: mm. Mm. I like it I
0: like it Very simple
1: Right. The polls got it so wrong. We were expecting a, a, a Labor win. Well, the
0: polls were expecting a Labor win. Yes. The media were expecting a Labor win. Mm. Whereas each time that you and I and Liam have sat here in the studio before recording something, we've got down to talking about it's going to be a maximum of two seats one mm. way or the other and we kept reaching the conclusion and Labor can lose it. Mm. And I, I guess I thought, well, okay, Labor can lose it. Yeah, what does this mean? But I think what really annoyed me Saturday night is when it became clear that Labor were going to lose it, that more and more people started disparaging Australia and disparaging Australians Mm. and disparaging people who voted for the coalition, going, you know, they're stupid, they're idiots, they're breaking my country, I don't want to live anymore, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, this is bullshit. These are people that thought long and hard about how they wanted to vote. Mm. And pollsters are getting it wrong. And the media are getting it wrong. And even when I thought about it honestly, I wanted Labour to win because they represent progressive politics in Australia. Not because I thought they had any credibility. And I thought, oh, there's something in that. You can want something. You can want a- an outcome that has nothing to do with what's available. Well, what does that mean? So... What I propose to do is to outline what I think is the underlying psychology and philosophy of voting in elections and see what you think of that and then how about we apply your media theory on top.
1: Mm. Yep, sounds good. Sounds like a plan? Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: first thing I started thinking about late Saturday night before falling asleep and then talking to my wife Karen on Sunday morning at crystallized as we were driving to the farmer's market was we have to acknowledge that the state of the world affects people whether they are politically aware or not. Mm -hmm. So they don't vote in an election on the basis of the policies. They vote on how they have perceived the state of the world for an extended period of time, which they then for a few weeks look at the policies. That is not to diminish people and say they're not interested in politics all the time. What I'm saying is they live with their perception of the world all the time but the political cycle only comes around occasionally. Mm. So one thing is permanent, one thing is part-time. So I'm going to jump back to the William Glasser episode because it will be fresh Mm. in listeners' minds. What I'm going to say here is that every Australian, whether they know it or not, has their idea of Glasser's quality world, how their ideal world should be, and that that's formed by a lifetime of experience. And I'm going to draw a long bow here and say that There's at least two very different quality worlds that Australians were walking around with on Saturday morning as they went to vote. Mm. There's one quality world that says we're facing all these problems, we've got all these resources, we've got all this talent, my quality world is full of what the world could be. Mm. It is an incredibly progressive and aspirational quality world of willing to do the hard yards, willing to work, willing to perhaps even sacrifice for a much better world sometime in the future. And not one election cycle away, but perhaps years away. And this is the traditional quality world in the head of progressive voters. Mm -hmm. At the other end is a quality world that says, life here is good. My quality world and my reality more or less fit. But the world's getting harder. I don't want to lose my quality world. I just want someone who will promise to keep what I have and the people I care about have and keep Australia the way I know it and like it. And I think very broadly, that is the conservative viewpoint mm. is they don't mind improving things a little bit. They're willing to polish the quality world that already exists in their head and the the world you know in Australia which is a pretty good reflection of a quality world things are bloody nice here mm. but they don't want big change so when you go to vote saturday morning there's the two ends of the spectrum one is very much can see the shit state the world's in mm and is willing to vote for somebody, something, some policy platform that says, here is where we're heading, here's what you can put in your quality world, here's the plan to get there. On the other hand, there's people who get up in the morning, look at their partner, look at their kids, look at their grandkids, look at the house they've in the process of paying off or just paid off, and go, shit, all I want to do is make sure that all of this lasts. Mm. and i can hand it to the people i care about there is no malice in that Mm. and that's what really shit me saturday night was people you know throwing abuse at people who just wanted to look after them and theirs and that may seem selfish but i don't think people mean it that way i think they go if my quality world's like this isn't everyone else's and the reality is in Australia on Saturday night we saw the majority of Australians have a quality world that says protect what we've got because we're shit scared.
1: I know that these are some of the forces that keep hegemonic powers, uh, you know. In power. In power. Precisely. But wouldn't you want your democratic system to be the government winning, you know, by majority with each individual being selfish? I, I don't see a point in trying to argue that someone should vote out of their interests?
0: The chaos we now face Mm. between not being able to pull the economic levers, probably not being able to stop climate change from warming the world significantly, Mm -hmm. having wasted fossil fuels on frivolous shit instead of rebuilding our economy. We should have used coal and oil to make zillions of solar panels and wind turbines. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the cost is too high. The reality is, and this is the other half of sort of what I wanted to unpack, is you take your emotional state into how you assess your quality world and how you assess policy. Mm-hmm. So if the underlying emotional state is from the conservative perspective, I want to maintain what I've got and what's out there is terrifying, so I won't even talk about it, I won't even admit climate change. But on the other hand, for progressive voters, it's I can see the tsunami coming. Mm-hmm. And what are any of these people doing about it? You are voting selfishly mm-hmm. in both cases. Mm-hmm. In one case, you're voting for please protect what we have. On the other, you're saying please stop the tsunami before it destroys us. But in both cases, being able to see a long view of progressive politics is still selfish.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just a different kind. I will not call it selfish. It's, it's self-something, but I don't know what it is
1: i'd really argue that a lot of the coalition voters and this this is uninformed but this is how how i see it that a lot of coalition voters are not voting on one specific issue it doesn't seem to me that people are saying oh negative gearing better vote for the coalition then you know these
0: kind of policies are frivolous on the periphery issues mm. yeah And, and this is this thing of you know, I jumped into the whole thing that you've got your emotional state underpinning everything you do. Mm-hmm. So I want to jump into Jonathan hate now. Mm-hmm. You know, Jonathan Haidt's wonderful comment that the emotional dog wags the rational tail. That does not mean that we are only emotional, but it means by the time we start thinking rationally, we've already primed ourselves emotionally. Mm-hmm. So if the underlying priming in Australia is this place is amazing, but everything's at risk... The underlying emotional state is an uneasiness mm. and that uneasiness is going to inform every person's rational analysis of what happens next you know any Australian who is not uneasy about the future is the demented weirdo you know that Twitter are having a go at and mm. that's a handful of people mm. Everyone's uneasy. If you're in Queensland or Western Australia where the mining industry is not making zillions of dollars anymore and your house is worth nothing and your job security's gone, you're uneasy. We've just seen Labor essentially annihilated in Queensland, Mm. a state full of people who do blue-collar jobs because what Labor were offering was something that neither saved what is or changed it to something better in the future.
1: And they don't have any kind of connection to country voters either like the nationals theoretically would. Well,
0: nationals are a fascinating group mm. because they're not the liberals they're the nationals mm. they in most cases represent people who do bloody hard work on the land mm. so they're in the funniest spot they represent people who often don't have much and will hang on to it desperately mm. and have done in a lot of cases a more honest job of representing them than either of the major parties mm. Because they say what they believe in. We are going to protect what you've got. We're going to make sure the drought doesn't kill you. We're going to make sure we rebuild after the flood. They're very upfront with doing nothing more than maintaining what is.
1: But if you were to look at majority vote, more people voted Labour than Liberal. However, when you add the Nationals vote into that, it is... Yeah, but
0: this is one of those things that if Labour and Greens are smart enough, they'll eventually Mm realise they're the two halves of progressive politics. They can't stand each other, but is there any evidence that the Nationals and Liberals like each other? The Nationals (laughs) and Liberals have (laughs) realised that being in power is better than not being. Yes. So whether progressive politics wants to do something i.e. come together, is a whole other issue. Mm. But I think a key thing is here, whether people voted liberal or national, Mm. they had the knowledge that what they were voting for was people whose principal interest is to maintain what is. Mm. Whereas if we look at Labor and the Greens, they both promise progressive politics. Mm. But if we break this down into three things, first of all, if you know that we are potentially, as an entire planet, not just Australia, in a world of shit, were they offering a better vision of the future that would genuinely deal with the big problems? Mm. And I think the simple answer is no. The greens go, the sky's going to fall, the sky's going to fall, climate change, yeah, well, the sky is going to fall. No shit. But they don't offer any solution. They offer little things that are too little too late because it's not a full policy platform to transform Australia. Labor did, as we talked about with Sam and Jaden, a reasonably sophisticated minimal reform policy platform to improve things a little bit. Mm. Is that going to deal with the size of the tsunami coming? No. So if the real choice is protect what is or minimal reform or the sky is falling, mm. protecting what is becomes, in terms of a quality world, and in terms of emotional underpinning, the rewarding gut choice. And that's not to say people can't reason their way beyond that, but why would they, when the emotion's connected to what they want to maintain and what they're being offered are so deep? Yeah, so if we, we go beyond what they're being offered policy-wise, Let's look at the two other things that are critical. How are we going to get to this improved place? Well, for the Liberals and Nationals, we don't have to get anywhere. We just have to protect what is. It's immediately simpler. Whereas when Labour start explaining what they're going to do, you go, none of those things are transformative enough to save us. None of those things are transformative enough to make a new Australia that genuinely thrives in the 21st century. So why vote for it? You vote for it because they're the only progressive choice in town. But you're not voting for something you can tangibly get and that is an astounding outcome. You're voting it for being on the progressive side of the line mm. but accepting what you, mean, and Liam were talking about that. Well, even if you voted, do you still love Bilby? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and a third thing um, yeah, I just want to put in here, on top of what quality world are they offering, what path to getting there are they offering us, The third thing is, have these leaders got skin in the game? So dose of Nassim, Nicholas Taleb. Mm. Reality is, Turnbull promised to be a pretty progressive liberal prime minister. (laughs) Fundamentally failed. Mm. Made lots of noise, kept things as they were but didn't make them better. That is dangerous. So Dutton tried to annihilate him. ScoMo annihilated Dutton. What we have there is people, well, Dutton and ScoMo have skin in the game. They fought ruthlessly, and in ScoMo's case, effectively to win. So on the liberal side, you have a quality world you can comprehend. Let's protect what is. The path to get there is keep doing the same. Mean migration policy, failing neoliberal policy, but it's what people know, and hard bastards. Mm. That's a package. I don't like that package, mm-hmm. but it's a cohesive package. Let's look at labor on the other hand. A quality world that is not significantly better than where we are and cannot deal with the multiple prong disasters coming at us. No clear path to get there other than minuscule reform that when you start looking at the pieces are so complex people emotionally can't buy in. And a Teflon-coded leader that every bit of media for the last two years says no one likes the guy. So it it couldn't win on three fundamental, psychological, very human levels. And that's horrible. And yet people still vote progressive because they want a better world. But there was no better world in what was being offered or who was offering it. So now we potentially get the elbow. Now the elbow is a bit more emotional. Can he offer any more? I say no. Which is pretty bloody grim.
1: It's interesting that you say that Labor were not offering at least a significantly better quality world. I think it's interesting when we assess that there aren't too many differences between the two parties. I think some people would argue that differences on key issues like housing affordability or on climate change or uh, education and health are significant enough that there that there are like that there is a a decent separation between the two parties, but I think what we're saying is that they haven't got effective progressive. It's not parties. far enough. Yeah,
0: I think what you know what I'm guess I'm essentially arguing is that you either protect what we have mm. or you help us deal with the tsunami that's coming. Yeah, and you better do one thing or the other because if you do in the middle, you're offering us. Essentially, nothing.
1: There's two things I want to say then, because uh, this was painted by the the media as one of the most progressive you know, labour campaigns, or one of the most um, kind of.
0: It was one of their bravest, bravest policy packages, bravest. yes, right. for a long time. But the problem is, all the people writing about that brave package were doing what good journalists should do, mm. and that is trying to check their emotions at the door and write rationally. Mm-hmm. Rationally, it was the best package we've been offered. In decades mm-hmm. but emotionally is it enough mm-hmm. and that's the thing journalists are not meant to write emotionally no we're not meant to vote emotionally we're meant to be rational machines and I'm not saying we can't reason we can see reason because we all reason every day a bit mm. but our reason is going to be informed by the underlying emotional state that was there before and the quality world that we want to achieve in our life
1: the other thing is that I really think The Liberals being able to quote numbers, whether they were accurate or not, quote numbers when they were talking about budgets and how they were going to afford the things that they were saying they were going to afford, was assuring, whereas when Bill was asked the question, how are you going to afford X, Y, Z scheme, he never quoted a number.
0: No, I'm not saying that Labor's campaign wasn't crap, it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they didn't sell the benefits of how much progress there was. Even if it wasn't enough, they didn't sell it well enough. They need to face... You know, the fact that they rolled Hawke and Keating out to go, hello, who rebuilt the Australian economy, not the Liberals. Yeah. John Howard finished the job, but Hawke and Keating did the heavy lift.
1: It's campaigning on reputation, which is pointless. The fascinating
0: thing is it won't talk about Hawke and Keating. Hmm. hasn't done for decades. Well, election cycles, I should say. And suddenly it pulls them out because it's so desperate. Mm. Well, guess what? What did Hawke and Keating have between them? Vision, charisma, and skin in the game. Mm. Everything that has been lacking ever since in the front bench of the Labour Party excluding Lindsay Tanner Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So when you've got a party that is so distorted in relation to its last heroes, why would we believe? Whereas if we look at the Brutal politics of Dutton and ScoMo. It's just like John Howard all over again. Mm. We're back to hard bastards in charge of a party, shaping their party to suit their personal needs, but also recognising that the core of Australia, it seems a majority desire since things began to get harder to not do the difficult things to fix it, but to do the minimal things to pretend we can maintain
1: it. Why why did the polls get it so wrong?
0: Because when someone stands there and asks you a question, you of course do what you meant to do when you're asked a question and you be more reasonable mm. and you use more reason and as decades of psychological experimentation shows, you can ask people, should you eat less sugar? Yes. Should you go to the gym more? Yes. Should you give up smoking? Yes. <laughs> should you give up drinking? Yes. What do people do? None of those four. <laughs> Because when you're asked to reason in a setting where reason is dominant, you can do it.
1: Well, I, I think that also has to do with the setting in which people are being asked. Because these polls, when they were when they used to be accurate, were all done done on landlines, which means that people were being contacted in their homes, perhaps where they're feeling comfortable. Precisely. And now it's anywhere.
0: I wonder when the people were at home, you got much more honest answers because they were in their comfortable place. Mm. Whereas now if you're out in the world, you're in a public place. Mm. You're in a place where you have to be performative. So asking the questions becomes performative. Mm. And part of the thing is here too, the poll numbers just keep rolling on and everyone thinks it's so serious. If you believe in your policy platform, if you believe it's what your party stands for, have the skin in the game to bloody well just do policy you believe in. Yes, I know I'm not a politician. Yes, I know I'm not going to be a politician. Yes, I know it's not my whole career and I'm not wanting to protect my career. Politicians shouldn't want to protect their career. That's half our problem. That's why we don't believe any of them have skin in the game because the only skin they seem to have in the game is their own survival, Mm. which is underwhelming to the extreme. So which new underwhelming leader will the Labor Party get Mm. who once again has more skin in being a politician? Than you know, developing transformative policy. Now, don't expect the liberals to do transformative policy. It's not their job. It's not what they do. They've just got to look hard enough to maintain what is, and they do a very good job of that.
1: It's interesting you say that. I was just thinking yesterday of the, the two that have put their hands up. It's uh, Tanya Pl- Tanya Plibisek and Anthony Albanese, I believe. Yep. Yep. Two head the, the Labor Party now. Yep. I thought, no, oh, it would be in Labour's interest to try and get the first uh, formally properly elected female Prime Minister as opposed to...
0: Again, is that another way to have progressive politics without actually getting anywhere?
1: And that's exactly what you, you were yeah, thinking. You, yeah, you've just, yeah, you've just... Sorry, man, I stole mind. your thunder. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's, you know, it was your point. You just made me realise that what I was thinking yesterday absolutely made no sense. It's because... The people that would have voted on the basis that it's a female, we can elect a female prime minister, are already voting for Labor. Precisely. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to make any more. difference.
0: Yeah. It doesn't change anything because they're going to vote progressive simply because it's the progressive side of politics, mm. even if they don't believe that the progress being offered will transform anything because it's too little, it's too average.
1: Safety is actually a fairly easy string to pluck, I believe. mm the Liberals hit that nail on the head, I think. Mm. How do we pluck at other you know, heartstrings, let's say? How do we...
0: Well, I think we need to have honest progressive politics mm. that genuinely says we are not safe. Mm. And, and stop doing the frou-frou of terrorism. Sorry, I shouldn't say frou-frou of terrorism. I should say stop pretending it's an existential threat. Mm. Terrorism is a threat. It's one of many threats. It's not an existential threat. Not being able to control our economy in the long run, climate change salination, all these things are going to do untold harm to Australia. Mm. We're not safe. And someone needs to be honest enough to go, we are not safe for all these reasons and here's a way to fix it. Because trying to maintain what is doesn't acknowledge it either. Mm. So what we have at the moment is no one's acknowledging truth, but one thing is easier to hide in, which is just try to maintain what is, just try to maintain what is. It seems simpler. And yet, okay, listeners, feel free to call me, you know, A radical something. (laughs) I'm not radical. I'm just willing to state truth. We face big things. Our politics doesn't want to face big things, except for the Greens who go, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Climate change. Well, yes, it is. And what's your complete policy platform? What is your broad, progressive, transformational policy platform that addresses all major issues? Have you got skin in the game? And can you convince me of the process? And the answer on all three is no. Mm. And that's why, once again, in you know, this has happened so many times since Keating and Labour lost power in ninety six, Labour has failed to fulfill its progressive potential. Mm. And why the Liberals have continued to do what they do so well. Now I'm not sure if you know, SCOMO has the smug satisfaction that John Howard used to demonstrate. Former Prime Minister Howard, don't be so smug. You understood us well. That makes you cunning, not clever.
1: It's a good way to describe him actually, cunning. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, reading people is what politics is about or should be about. Mm. Persuading them is much harder. But you've got to read them first. So the people involved in this should be highly capable of working out what the underlying state emotionally practically of the electorate is how is it labor that claim to represent working australians are so clueless at understanding where people's emotional and kind of practical heads are at
1: i think it played into a fear that it could possibly be worse we've said it before that ultimately we want things to get better that's you know in our quality world mm. i think we're okay we can deal with it when things stay the same but we don't stand for when things get worse. And
0: this is where we're getting to sort of interesting stuff from Ted Robert Gurr in the 1970s where he made the argument that people have two kinds of expectations in a political setting. Mm. The expectation it should get better. Mm-hmm. But I will state there that should be divided into significantly better, i.e. transformative policy or just, you know, polish what is. Mm-hmm. Expectations for better could be either. But then we have the other expectation. It shouldn't get worse. Mm. And the reality is now we are in the politics of it shouldn't get worse. Mm. But everyone's not willing to admit that reality. So we keep having the political rhetoric and policy that talks about how can we make it better. When I think where people are at emotionally and practically, when they look around and go, what do I want to protect? What do I want to try and do for the people I care about? We are in, I expect it shouldn't get worse. Mm. And that that is now the dominant theme. Underlying how the electorate decide what to do next, Mm -hmm. immaterial of what the politicians think is going on. Okay, Tim, that's all really grim. (laughs) Now, that's a lot of psychological, philosophical, and political theory ideas I've I've put into a messy bundle. What happens if we try and you know put them alongside how you saw the media seeing You've got the media expertise.
1: I'm I'm not going to make it particularly any less grim, personally, but. You know, I'm very anti Murdoch. I think most people would describe themselves as yeah, not supportive of the Murdoch press. It's funny though because it's it makes a bag of money. Yeah, it, and it's ninety percent of what we've got on television and and in papers. And when's yeah. the last
0: time you watched television?
1: Ah, oh, uh, yeah, this is the thing. Uh, but I'm a progressive voter. So yeah, but
0: we haven't had the television. I worked it out for three weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, but I'm forced to listen to commercial radio station at work so uh, okay you get more exposure than me then yeah so y- you know i, I <laughs> actually to be honest with you i probably heard more palmer united ads <laughs> than any other <laughs> campaign isn't it but, nice
0: that a certain person didn't get a seat <laughs>
1: What a waste of $60 million. No, no,
0: it got spent. It's in the economy. We oh, need yeah. money going around to keep money going yeah, around.
1: He could have paid his workers with that money. Or <laughs> yeah. wasn't
0: he just put $60 million into the coffers of fixing
1: something? Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I think there was obviously a lot of negative, there was a lot of negative Labour press from Rupert Murdoch. Mm. And I think ABC did a very good job of making everyone despondent. Mm. you you would expect right wing fanatics that doesn't necessarily say that they're extreme or not I just passionate right wingers would say that ABC is is biased and was aiming to get labour in and it would probably be in their interests because it would be less cuts or it would be more money for the ABC or
0: can we say that if you want to work at the ABC rather than a commercial channel Mm. that your underlying world view is the point of media is to give people information, knowledge and empower them therefore there is an underlying ethos of progressiveness absolutely and that if you've got an underlying ethos of progressiveness you are going to respond more emotionally more positively to progressive things
1: yeah and i think but the perception from the right who i would argue still should believe in the abc fulfilling its philosophical duty of informing people i don't think that the the right are politically opposed to a, a publicly funded no,
0: but I think there's a difference between informing or empowering mm. a population. Mm. And the right, I would argue, would only want it to inform, say what is. Yes. Not say what the problems are or what could be better.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Because it is about kind of having mm, small government, not coercing people into mm. making any kind of political decision.
0: And giving up on the idea of social engineering.
1: Yes, yes. it It, <laughs> it is the social science version of trickle-down economics. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think that there was much positive media for Labor aside from uh, something like Triple J. But I think that that lended itself more toward the Greens. And
0: and there's the irony mm, that the two progressive groups don't get along and there's good reasons why. Yeah, But people are going, if you're progressive, going, yeah, that one, that one, that one, that one, oh, uh, neither.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. it there was a, a kind of media campaign that just increased indifference or not, maybe not indifference but just made people tired of the whole thing.
0: Well, made a storm in a teacup. Yeah. Nothing could changed. No. But the frou-frou, all the media didn't help us to understand anything better, mm. wasn't any more persuasive, didn't put anyone forward in a better light, didn't explain policy in a better light. All we had was noise, and if we look at the sheer number of pre-poll votes and Mm. postal votes, most people, when they were told you're going to vote in this day, just went, oh, I'm not wasting my Saturday, got the form and filled it in. Mm -hmm. Some seats it's been up to, what, 40%? Mm -hmm. I think that's the Mm -hmm. number I saw. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's actually perfectly logical. (laughs) It actually supports what I've been arguing this morning, Mm -hmm. and that is people know deep in them whether they could explain it or not what they believe mm. and what they're going to do and you can't persuade a lot of people no. because they've already decided I'm not voting for you you're just the closest to how I want my world mm. Mm. and they've done that calculation very quickly and you know debates and other stuff just really don't
1: have the impact that we think they do. It's not, but it's also, it's not the same as what a debate is in, um, you know, the US, for instance. It it just isn't because it's not about, like we kind of raised this on our last election podcast, pre-election podcast. Mm, With John. Yeah, that it's not about those individual people. And, you know, we're we're, we're effectively looking at Scott Morrison and Bill Shorten's ability uh, to argue and their rhetoric. Like Hmm. it's, it doesn't matter well
0: let's sort of put another angle on that and that is that if we know at a deep emotional level what our quality world is and what our underlying emotional state is and all this policy just gets in the way because it requires too much rationality and all that rationality is really not going to change what we already emotionally believe you may as well just assess the person talking and go how do i feel about that person and that's the thing. Bill Shorten did not seem to be able to transcend whatever he said, didn't change people, didn't like him, and didn't trust no. him.
1: I, I know, I know, there's so deep and yeah. emotional in that. But, okay, so let's give maybe a counter example. I've heard several times throughout the election that people wanted someone like Jacinda Ardern in Australia. So this is the Prime Minister of mm. uh, New Zealand.
0: Takes immediate action, credible. Yeah. Mm hmm. Says things people need to hear.
1: She's a wolf in sheep's clothing, though. Like we, I think her...
0: Or is she a sheep in wolf's
1: clothing? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. You know, I think she, what she inspires in people emotionally is not how she actually is in real life, I don't know,
0: but she's much better at knowing what message matters. That's right. And those, the words matter a little bit, but the way you present them matters a lot.
1: I think that is the opposite of what we were offered yeah we got
0: words Mm. without being able to present them in a way that connected deeply with people
1: yeah so I'm not saying that that emotional judgment is is in in any way wrong or not just is yeah exactly it's and it's inextricable from this de- democratic process as well. Yeah, we, And we shouldn't aim to change that or no, or because with the it.
0: media we have we're not going to read these people's words in a dry newspaper a day after they said them. Yeah. We're going to watch the video 30 seconds after the speech finished. Mm. So yeah. we we're going to be bombarded more by how the people in politics perform mm. than we are with the, than the words they say.
1: So anecdotally on the Progressive side of perhaps media, which is mostly what comes through on social media, which is why you have outrage on Twitter. Mm. These are generally speaking echo chambers, mm. especially Twitter for the for the for the left. But you know, even just on Facebook, you know, you've got you know, sites like Pedestrian or Buzzfeed. Not that they're doing political commentary anymore. Mm. A- and again, yeah, Hack or, or or Triple J. And to be honest with you, it's a lot of virtue signaling for commercial benefit obviously not in the case of triple j triple j Mm. but it it plays on that performative uh, nature of it 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 becomes a it's part of social media it Mm. is highly shareable uh, kind of content that Mm. is looked upon kindly and there is not and there is not much of that on the right yeah
0: well on the right they're performing in the way they need to for it to get the job done
1: yeah well but but uh, a lot of the sharing, perhaps, of opinions and...
0: Well, the right only needs confirmation of what it already believes. Yes, that's It's right. harder to sell the vision of the future than it is to sell the maintenance of yesterday. The right only needs occasional reminders that the team will deliver, <laughs> whereas the progressive side needs constant explanation and reassurance mm. of the commitment to a grand vision that's not so grand.
1: The only thing that I saw... Was almost this. I'm not going to say extreme right, but it was farther right, perhaps, than the liberals are in terms of social media and and articles and and, and kind of shareable content. And most of it was attacks on people like Richard Natal. Mm. and it was it was this cultural war. Like you know, we were everyone was painting each other as extreme on either side of that mm. fence, and it's just not true. Like that, I think people's opinions are closer than perhaps they would seem. Yeah, at least you know, if you were, if you, at least in each in each habitat, I know that there are definitely exceptions to that. I know that there are echo chambers in places like Melbourne, Mm. the seat that the Greens won. Mm. uh, I know people that live in that electorate and say that it's almost social suicide to support anyone other than the Greens. So, you know, yeah, but it's tribal. Oh, if you like totally tribal.
0: But in the case of Di Natale, what I'd say is he does a wonderful job of the anguish of mm. recognising yeah. the tsunami of problems as coming. Yeah. But he does a terrible job of persuading me he's got skin in the game to fix it. Mm. Now, mm. anguish is appealing. We can all be anguished together. Mm-hmm. It's like the little bunch of penguins realising that their bit of ice is going to fall off the glacier and go out to sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big deal. How are you going to fix it? hmm So, again, anguish is appealing because at least it connects at a real emotional level, which I think the Greens actually do a pretty good job of.
1: Yeah. I agree with that too. I'd agree with that too. Mm. And the Animal Justice Party got a few votes in some of the electorates as well, and that's also completely emotional. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we're all going to have emotion in there, but it's what we do with reason on top of it. And the reason is to go from, okay, the emotion, the anguish about the state the world is in, Mm -hmm. tick. Mm -hmm. Now, persuade me of your quality world of how we're going to where we're heading now. Persuade me of your plan. Now make me believe you've got skin in the game, or something other than a professional politician who's simply there for career. Mm. Oh, we fail on all them. Oh, well, I don't care about the anguish then. And it, that's the problem with Di Natale for me.
1: Yeah, no, fair. I think I think that's a fair assessment. I genuinely think that we need more of a common enemy. I genuinely think that we should be talking more about uh, foreign policy in these election campaigns because you would be able to unite people more if we weren't just infighting between what's happening in Australia and talking about what we could be doing on the Mm, international international platform. But
0: then we also have a Labor Party that's drunk the Kool-Aid that the Chinese Communist Party one day wants to be democratic. (laughs) Elbow's already come out in the last 24 hours and reinforced that he drank the Kool-Aid. Well, Labor Party? No. (laughs) The CCP wants to be authoritarian for as long as humanly possible. Mm. And the fact that You've got one major party that doesn't understand a fundamental issue of foreign affairs, kind of (laughs) huge. But that's a different issue than we started with today. Yeah.
1: Yes. True. (laughs) True. But my point being that I think that if we had um, until we have the common threat, yeah, that's right.
0: We won't get a common underlying emotion to be able to perhaps come up with a negotiated idea of where we're heading, which is address the threat. Mm. And again, the most obvious threats are two. That we don't have control of our economy, mm-hmm. and that the climate is going to whack us with a very big stick.
1: Yeah, but those are in opposition for some people. I, no. I would say for Queensland, that the the control over their economy was in in somewhat in opposition to mm. the climate.
0: But at the moment, their house is, yeah, you know, not worth what it was, and they're in a lot of debt, and they're not getting many hours. So, so yeah. again, the immediate thing, again, it, it's a very deliberate cultivated choice Mm. to see the long game and to be willing to sacrifice in the short term for the long game particularly in australia where things have been so good Mm. why
1: suffer but what is you know aside from perhaps the great barrier reef what would be the motivation for someone in queensland to be voting for progressive climate well look at the
0: storms that now annihilate them every year yeah well Uh, yeah yeah. hello (laughs) it's actually really simple Mm. yeah the the in a sense the barrier reef is offshore and not a visible thing from day to day. Mm. But the destruction of towns, that's kind of normal now.
1: Well, it's a the Great Barrier Reef is, is world heritage and I think we're gonna we're gonna experience a lot of backlash if we let that go.
0: Yeah, at a political level. Yeah. But again for people getting up and going about their lives and their underlying emotional state much of the quality world. Yeah. Unless they go swimming on the reef.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fair it's it's
0: a very progressive thing to think about the barrier reef and its value to the world over time mm. but it's not a today thing if you can't afford to pay your power bill
1: the great barrier reef is a luxury by comparison to paying your power bill yeah perhaps for the um disheartened progressives out there you know the people who are complaining on twitter who we would um, we would encourage to to stop there Quexit is that what they're calling it? The yeah. uh, Queensland exit. <laughs>
0: okay, well, what elections. I want, what I want to say to progressives mm. is stop attacking other Australians and start getting involved in progressive politics. Yeah. If you're pissed off and young enough to join a party, persuade them you're credible and not to drink the Kool Aid. Mm. Get on with it. Mm. Embrace the suck of engaging in the system and fixing the system. Otherwise, you're just mouthing off in a sort of progressive echo chamber of Twitter. Mm. And it might make you feel better for two seconds, but it is profoundly and utterly unproductive. And the pro- you know the progressive parties are not going to sort their shit out until we demand it of them. Mm. And we haven't demanded it of them, so why would they?
1: Well, I decided yesterday, being the day after the the election, that uh, I would become a union representative at my retail job. Go you. <laughs> well, I figured it's a small thing that i can do okay.
0: i figure i ain't gonna do politics but we do this at least once a week yeah we sit and try and help people understand how to ask better questions and come up with deeper answers hmm. and that is the only way to underpin a genuinely progressive society is to think your way into it
1: i do want to add a small point you know, I, I used to be a pretty adamant liberal voter i'm actually kind of proud i'm not 100 sure how to describe it but i was expecting a minority government and i'm actually kind of glad that there's some majority here i i think it's better if we if we're better representing more people if we're not having to make you know underhand deals with independence or whatever it is and not that I, it's the outcome that i would have wanted but, but
0: maybe it's more reason than dealing with people more extreme yeah 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 i would say I am a progressive voter that votes for Labour because I don't have any other choice. <laughs> yeah, And that in a weird way, and listeners, feel free to have a freak out, I'm happy Jackie Lambie is back in. Because her experience, it seems, of life and politics is to speak truth about the state of people's lives yeah. and what scares them. And that that makes her rare and necessary. And I may not enjoy sitting beside her on a plane, I may not want to spend hours trying to convince her, to be more progressive but i am very glad that someone that speaks truth about the genuine state of people's lives and how they feel about their lives is in parliament
1: Mm, true we live in a representative democracy i think that's the thing to be proud of and be happy about
0: yeah. as someone one of the only comments I liked on Saturday night was okay don't like the outcome but I like the fact that there were no guns involved in getting it yeah that's right I like, I like that tweet that was a good tweet Yeah. True. so whoever did that tweet thank you you
1: <laughs> alright David thank you very much for coming in today
0: thank you Tim Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OZcast Network. Peace out.